0: Listener
1: Production. In this episode of the briefing, two days out from the voice referendum, we have an interview with the Leader of the Opposition, Peter Dutton. Let's agree that there are there's a conflict in the advice being provided by the lawyers.
2: And in that sense, there is, but the
1: majority of respected lawyers are saying the risk is low of a constitutional challenge. The risk of constitutional challenge uh, is very real because the words are brought down. The history books tell us that no Australian referendum has ever been successful without the support of both major political parties. So Peter Dutton's decision as Liberal leader back in April to oppose The Voice had a significant impact on The Voice's chance of success. We're going to explore his reasoning for that decision in this special interview on The Briefing. First, today's Big Headlines with Antoinette Latouf. It's Thursday, the 12th of October.
0: So we begin today with some much-needed good news. After being jailed in China for three years, Australian journalist Cheng Li has returned home. Beijing authorities arrested her back in August 2020, accusing her of sharing state secrets overseas. She's always denied those accusations and she's finally been released and has touched down in Melbourne.
1: Yeah, we've been following this story closely here on The Briefing. I remember when she disappeared and it was so scary to hear that she'd just uh, you know vanished from her job and you had no sense of how the legal process would play out or or where she was and the sad thing about it was she had two children so they're 11 and 14 so for the last three years they haven't known when their mum's coming home they've been raised by their grandmother in Melbourne and finally they're being united so that's really good news. Um, We're hearing from China's state security ministry that she pled guilty to those charges of sending state secrets abroad and that she'd served out her sentence. And that's why they're releasing her. So, you know, we don't get much transparency on the Chinese legal system, mm. but finally she's free, which is amazing.
0: Yeah, and my understanding was she didn't have contact with her family during that time and Anthony Albanese was pretty opaque about the details, all the conditions of her release, um, He, but he did say that she wasn't pardoned. Uh, when it comes to China's judicial system, um, it has a conviction rate of more than 99.8% and there's almost no transparency when it comes to national security cases, but Cheng did go and tweet or X or whatever you say these days, um, tight hugs, teary screams, um, holding my kids in the spring sunshine. She said that she can see the entirety of the sky now. And thank you, Aussies.
1: Mm, that's great. And last night, the Prime Minister, Anthony Albanese, told a congregation of Melbourne's Jewish community that the government's committed to keeping them safe amid rising inter-community tensions following the Hamas attack in Israel. He also said there'll be government-backed Qantas flights to help Australian citizens get out of Israel starting tomorrow. And in Sydney, around 7,000 people gathered for a vigil, which was addressed by the federal opposition leader Peter Dutton and also the New South Wales Premier Chris Minns. And Chris Minns has apologised for allowing the pro-Palestinian protest to go ahead on Monday night at the Opera House and promised not to allow another one to go ahead on the weekend. There's now speculation that the Palestinian protesters will mount a legal challenge to any decision to block their protests.
0: Look, Tom, you know, I think the Jewish community should absolutely feel safe together. There should absolutely be flights to help Israeli Australians get safely home. As I'm hearing the stories and seeing the names and the faces of those killed in the Hamas attack, I think, you know, like many Australians, utterly devastated, heartbroken. It it is truly devastating. I do think if the government is concerned about the tensions here, they may need to consider perhaps what they're doing, which may be adding to it? Like, are there flights to bring Palestinian Australians home? Um, because uh, no doubt Palestinians here have relatives um, that they're worried about um, in the Gaza Strip. You know, those who support Palestine being free from occupation should be allowed to meet and protest because Hamas doesn't reflect or represent all Palestinians. And even before the protest took place earlier this week, the New South Wales Premier tried to stop it from happening. And as you mentioned, same for the one in Sydney scheduled for the weekend. And I reckon, I don't know, I don't. Know, I reckon there's a, that's a surefire way to get people who are mourning the death of their loved ones, women and children too, to feel hurt and angry. No, it doesn't excuse the few people who chanted anti-Semitic things. Never, absolutely not. But at the same time, I don't know, I think the state and federal governments may want to reflect on what they're doing to maybe, you know, be adding to that division.
1: Well, I think what happened in that protest on Monday night was disgusting, what was being chanted there. And that was meant to be a place where people were you know, showing solidarity for the horrific attacks on Israeli citizens, including people at a music Mm. festival at the Opera House. So to have protesters right there on the steps of the Opera House, setting off flares, burning flags and saying those things was not the right thing to do. And I think Chris Minns did the right thing by turning up to the Jewish community last night and apologising for that and promising to do better.
0: Yes, absolutely. And perhaps if a protest goes ahead, they should be allowed to protest somewhere else, somewhere that where they can show solidarity and concern and something that is, is not in a confrontational way. Comedian Cal Wilson has passed away following a short illness. The 53-year-old's management confirmed her passing. Um, she was a regular on shows like Would I Lie to You?, Spicks and Specs, and more. She survived by her husband and son. Uh, The stand-up comedian moved to Australia from New Zealand in 2003 and she was a regular on the country's comedy circuit for 20 years. She performed at every Melbourne comedy festival for the past 14 years, was on its board. And I don't know, Tom, did, did you know her? Because it seems like you know, a lot of people that I know, you know had a relationship with her.
1: No, not personally. But yeah, there's been a massive outpouring of love for Cal. So it's obviously really affected um, so many people throughout the comedy and the media industry as well. So yeah, really sad passing um, at such a young age. We'll leave the headlines there. Thank you, Antoinette. I'm about to interview Peter Dutton. Peter Dutton, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. Pleasure, Tom. Thank you. Can you hand on heart say that your opposition to The Voice isn't about political point scoring?
2: Well, absolutely I can. And I think we demonstrated that uh, in January this year when I wrote to the Prime Minister uh, just with 15 basic questions and and he's still not provided answers to those questions. And I think a big part of the reason that support has dropped from 65% down to about 35, 45% now Mm. uh, is that people just haven't had the detail.
1: Yeah so that letter that that was an open letter in January it was published in the newspapers if if you were genuine about finding out more detail and then potentially offering bipartisan support at that stage why didn't you have that conversation in private and then come out united if you could get the detail Well
2: Tom I've had lots of conversations uh, with the prime minister in private I've asked for the detail uh, he said the detail wasn't forthcoming so uh, yeah I mean the letter's one example but uh, there are many where I spoke directly with him uh, and he, he just, I don't think, had any idea as to the detail In I, I don't say that in a critical way. Obviously, the mm. design of it doesn't start until next Monday if it gets up. And as it went on and it became obvious that the detail wasn't going to be provided, and also, to be honest, you know, having gone out to a lot of communities, to Leonora, to Alice Springs, East Arnhem Land, et cetera, to get out there and speak to the women in Alice Springs, uh, it's not the voice in a sense that they're concerned about, it's it's the action. It's whether decisions are being made. And there's a lot of money going into Indigenous communities and it's not getting to the people who deserve it most. So there are a number of of elements, I suppose, to uh, why we ended up taking a position uh, to oppose the voice. But uh, if I thought it was going to provide the practical outcomes for
1: Indigenous people on the ground, then you'd sign up to it in a heartbeat. But how do you know that it won't? How do you know that it won't improve the lives of Indigenous people when it's not something we've done before? hopefully in in the wash up after Saturday, I I hope that people can say, well, the
2: voice has been a construct which has suited a particular narrative. There's a lot of leadership within communities now in Indigenous communities where things are working well, where kids are going to school, they're involved in sport, uh, they're living in a functional society, but there are plenty of communities where that is not the case. Mm. And in those communities where it's not the case, I don't think it's a lack of voice. I think it's a lack of leadership and a lot of money goes into the funnel, billions and billions of dollars each year out of Canberra, but it becomes a trickle at best when it gets into the communities, as I say. I think the voice uh, would empower a number of people, including some of the big voices you've heard from over the course of this campaign, but I have no
1: doubt in my mind that it would not deliver the practical
2: outcomes to people on the ground.
1: But the idea of The Voice is to improve the spending, to make sure it's spent more effectively, to get better representation from those communities to our political leaders so that the money's well spent. How do you know that having that advisory body wouldn't help improve that spending and therefore flow onto the lives of Indigenous people? Let, let me let me
2: sort of play devil's advocate here let, let, let's say that it does work and it's in the Constitution that's a great thing right sure and it's then enshrined uh, there's there's a good outcome if it doesn't work we, we can't change the Constitution without going back to the Australian people and asking a question again that would be to undo the change that would be made on Saturday it's unlike legislation in legislation if you get it wrong you can amend it you can abolish the act you can add to it and you you can you can improve a bad bill if I can put it that way. But
1: that's why they asked for it to be enshrined so that it couldn't be completely overturned by you know the political establishment of the day. That'll it be something we would have to work on and fix, even if it did have problems going forward.
2: But this is, this is why the Carmel Langton report. The
1: experts remember the prime
2: minister at the start of this process was waving around the Carmel Langton report, two hundred and eighty odd pages sure. from memory, saying, "Here's here's the detail. Here's the detail." Well, Carmel Langton didn't recommend going to a national body before you had local and regional bodies. They haven't followed that advice. Frank Brennan and others have pointed out that the Australian public was never going to vote for something that they didn't understand and enshrine it in the Constitution forever without knowing that it was going to be a positive thing. And so in the Hearts and Minds campaign, I think the minds are are made up with the detail and when the questions are answered. The hearts are instinctively in favour. I mean, all of us want... I mean, it breaks your heart when you go to these communities and and it's a national shame that we have uh, a situation in regional areas or remote areas uh, where Indigenous kids are living the life that uh, that many of them are. No, nobody wants that, of course.
1: But were you ever going to support it? I mean, if you look at the 15 points you asked for, the detail you were asking for, um, a lot of them were about uh, you know, how many people would be on the body, how they would be chosen, how they would be representative, how much it would cost, and there were a few other questions, but that was the, the key thrust of it. Would those details have ever satisfied you, or is the core concept of this body being enshrined in the Constitution, as you said before, very different? to change was that core principle always at odds with your your take on this
2: no I, I said to the Prime Minister early on uh, very honestly that there's there's a, a form of the voice that that I could support because if there is a tight form of words in the Constitution that give effect to what the Prime Minister is saying uh, then that gets you over a, a big hurdle and so just the wording of the proposal well, well would but, have changed your view but Tom let, 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 let's like just if you want to drill down into it the Prime Minister says that the words he's putting to the Australian public on Saturday are an opportunity for people's voice to be heard in relation to matters that affect them as Indigenous Australians. That is not the reality of the words being put forward. It's a new chapter in the constitution. This is the first time that a new chapter has been proposed to be put into the constitution since federation. So it puts it on a level pegging with the high court. And I th- believe very strongly, and, and agree with the legal advice, and I accept that there are view- different views from different lawyers on this, uh, and people who, you know, are, are learned know what they're talking about, but but well, have yeah, conflicting views. the former views. Chief
1: Justice Robert F- French, you've got the former High Court Justice Je- Kenneth Haynes. They all say the legal risk is really low.
2: Tom, you can go through a dozen names, mate. On, on you know, good, good, good lawyers. But Robert French is the most recent. Chief Justice well, Robert French is is one voice, and there are plenty of other High Court uh, justices uh, who have had a say, other learned KCs uh, who have all got competing views. So let, let's agree that there are, there's a conflict in the
1: advice being provided by the lawyers,
2: and in that series, but in, the
1: majority of respected lawyers are saying the risk is low of a constitutional challenge.
2: The, the the risk of constitutional challenge uh, is very real because the words are broad. Don't forget that the Prime Minister and the Attorney-General went in to see the Referendum Working Group recommending that the words be tightened. The Referendum Working Group rejected that advice and the Prime Minister took their advice. And I think it was a catastrophic mistake because there are many Australians who if there was a tighter set of words, I think they would be inclined to vote for it because if the words actually said it's restricted to these areas of public policy uh, or the voice is restricted in what it can say only relating to indigenous australians not to broader defence policy etc etc it
1: doesn't say that but it doesn't have power over the parliament you know the former words seems relatively tight and simple that the voice may make representations to parliament an executive government, so it doesn't get the final say. Well, t- um, well Tom, it, it offers advice.
2: I mean, the, the the beauty for you and I is that uh, uh, we're not constitutional lawyers, and if the High Court says that you have seen fit to enshrine a body with its in its own chapter in the Constitution to give it equivalent standing to the High Court, and you're rejecting constantly the advice from the Voice, I don't believe that the High Court will say that you can just. Reject it, ignore
1: it, uh, without good reason. That's not true, is it, Peter Dutton? It's not equivalent to the High Court just because it has its own chapter in the Constitution, like the High Court. It doesn't give it the same legal power.
2: It has the same standing uh, and the same gravitas, if you like, as as the High Court, Tom. I mean, that's the, the same legal legal standing. Well, it's it's a it's a different it's a different body. The High Court uh, is a judicial body deciding cases uh, based on, on the facts before it. So it's a different function, but it has the same gravitas, if you like, of the High Court.
1: And What do you mean gravitas? Well, it's, if it's not the same legal power or the same political power, then how is it the same anything? You're putting it above any other institution, so any other
2: advisory body. What, what other advisory body to government has its own chapter in the Constitution?
1: Sure, it has its own chapter. That is a key difference. I agree with you there. But to say that it has the same power or the same legal status, that's simply not true. And isn't that what matters here? Well, Tom, again, mate, I just think you've
2: got to stick to the facts and and sort of leave
1: the emotion to one side.
2: The, The difficulty is that it has its own standing. And the High Court is going to say the Australian public has seen fit to put that body above any other advisory body to government and to the executive. And in so doing, you need very good reason and justification to reject the advice from that body. Mm. I don't think that's
1: controversial. So, Peter Dutton, you've promised to hold a referendum on constitutional recognition. Well, that, if you become the Prime Minister, will that happen in your first term? I think we have the
2: best country in the world, and I think the reason for that, the reason we have a stable democracy, a stable system of government, an easy transition at election times, is because of that founding document. That's why 44 referendums have taken place and only eight have been successful since Federation. So will you do it in your first term, constitutional recognition? The policy that we took to the last election is what stands today and that is if we've got agreement from the Labor Party and we've got agreement from Indigenous leaders, uh, then we think it is a respectful way to recognise our Indigenous heritage. And if the Prime Minister was asking that question on Saturday... I'm of the strong view that 70, 80, Mm. 90% of Australians would support that, and it would actually be a unifying moment, not the moment of division that the Prime Minister's taking us to now.
1: So, with Labor's support, you would do that in your first term? Is that a
2: promise? Well, I've given it to, we we took it to the last election, and uh, we'll take a policy to the next election. The Prime Minister said that he won't support it, um, I should point out. I can't understand the Prime Minister's logic to that, but... Um, that's that's for him to explain. Well, isn't it because that's
1: what they took it to Indigenous leaders through the 12 regional dialogues and then the Uluru Statement, and they said, we don't want just constitutional recognition. We want a voice enshrined in the constitution. And so this was the government responding to what those Indigenous leaders actually wanted, not what politicians thought they wanted.
2: Well, well Tom, the constitution is owned by 25.8 million Australians, and the prime minister can't promise Uh, to deliver constitutional change um, that a group of very significant elders or a a representative group of another body uh, want in the constitution.
1: If the polls are right, Peter Dutton and the No campaign wins, will you see that as a political victory? I'll see it as a couple of things. One is,
2: uh, I I think, millions of Australians who have taken an interest in their constitution, in their country, and they've taken a decision uh, to vote this down because uh, it's a, a poorly shaped form of words uh, that would give rise to unintended consequences. And I think uh, they've done our country a great service in that regard. Secondly, uh, I want Indigenous Australians to hear a very clear message uh, from, I think, millions of Australians. That this is not a rejection of a desire to see Indigenous people live a better life in regional areas, uh, quite the opposite. And I think every Australian wants to see a better outcome for people who live in regional and remote areas. Uh, We raise our kids here in the city. We expect them to go to school. We expect them to live in a safe environment. And that's what we want for Indigenous kids uh, in those uh, regional and remote areas. Um, So it's not a rejection of young Indigenous people or uh, Indigenous policy or a desire to do better for Indigenous people. And uh, so I think our country is better for the voice not passing. And I think uh, people need to hear a very clear message that there is a a burning desire to do practical good for Indigenous Australians. And I hope that we can achieve that as soon as we possibly can. Is
1: it not an endorsement of the status quo, which has led to the gap continually disappointing us and not closing? The gap hasn't closed because in in a number of communities, we've got very poor
2: leadership. And you listen to the people on the ground, to Indigenous elders, uh, women, mothers, grandmothers, They are disgusted. They are disgusted uh, with some of the leadership that's going on and the money that is not making its way into housing, uh, into schooling. But this is meant to fix that and to change that leadership. But, Tom, again, that's the emotion speaking, mate, with respect. Really? It is. It is. It's not going to provide that outcome. And that's the view, I think, of the vast majority of Australians. I think there's going to be a very significant majority who vote no on Saturday. We, We can't be calling millions of Australians you know, dickheads and uh, dinosaurs and sure. the rest of it. Th- these You're talking about four to five out of 10 Labor voters who are voting no on Saturday. These aren't people who have been influenced by me or uh, Liberal Party supporters. Th- these are people who, like all of us, care very much for Indigenous people and they have formed a judgment that the voice is not going to provide those practical outcomes. Peter Dutton, thanks so
1: much for coming on The Briefing. Pleasure, Tom. Nice to have a chat. Thanks, mate. All right, that was Peter Dutton. Leader of the Liberal Party in the Federal Parliament. Stay tuned for our final episodes before the referendum tomorrow as we finally close in to a debate that's been brewing all year. Listener